often told not to take too many conclusions from testing. Well, let's have a go anyway. Welcome to episode 45 of Bite Life. Let's go! Yes, indeed. This is episode 45 of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101 as we talk testing as MotoGP finally returns to action. How good it is to say that. In 2018, we will bring you all of the stories from the first official test of 2018. This is a pang test and give you the lowdown on all six factories and how they are getting on ahead of the new season, which is just six weeks away. We'll also discuss the fortunes of the new MotoGP rookies. Four of them were in action last week. Um, in Sepang, and we'll also tell you towards the end of the show how we may well have a fifth on the grid by the time we arrive in Qatar um, in the middle of March. We'll also give you the full story from two World Superbike tests which took place since we last spoke at Jerez and Portimao, Team Green dominating once again in those. Um, and we'll also tell you about the new schedule for this year and potentially the new venue for next year in the World Superbike Championship. All of that to come over the next hour and a half. Um, and joining me this week... Um, it's kind of interesting this because I was thinking uh, after what happened at the Sepang test this week that maybe the bookmakers weren't quite so stupid uh, by having Jorge Lorenzo as the second favourite for the World Championship in MotoGP this year. Proof to Andre Harrison that bookies sometimes do get it right. Yeah, yeah. So, amazingly, we, we we find a way to keep the lights on here, despite the fact, you know, these bold prognostications about Jorge Lorenzo, who takes time out of his busy schedule of responding to criticizers <laughs> on Twitter. Um, apparently, he's also quite fast. Who would have thought it? Yeah, faster than anyone has ever been around Sepang um, at the test last week. We'll get into that um, very, very soon. Um, for those of us, though, who perhaps maybe just listened to this show or perhaps have been living under a rock for the last week, two new episodes of Motorsport 101 have gone live since we last spoke uh, on Bike Live. Um, Dre, uh, tell the listeners about them. The, the second of them is mildly redundant, given that it's a preview of a race that's now already happened. Um, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but two episodes of Motorsport 101, including a very special guest in the first of them. Yes, episodes 119 and 120 both went live this past weekend. Um, we split them. We thought it was a little bit too much on the table there, and they were quite different subjects. So we uh, we, we, we had to split them for the first time. Um, you might see that a, a fair bit more often um, as the year goes on. But anyway, yeah, episode 119 was Cash the Fever talking about um, yeah talking about the Marrakesh E Prix, remembering the the tragic loss of Dan Gurney this past um, a couple of weeks ago now as a result of pneumonia. Katie Fairman from katiefairman.com and Autosport joined us for that as well, which was fun. And in episode 120, there was some IndyCar news, the latest coming out of the Danica Patrick camp, because that never seems to end. And a full preview at the time of the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, which obviously has now since happened. Expect a full review of that next week. But uh, yeah, until then... Um, yeah, you got episodes 119 and 120 to keep you up with. Let me know if you like the format change of going with two episodes as well. You know where to find me. But um, yeah, let me know you like that. And yeah, check, check them both out on SoundCloud, where all good podcasts are available. Yeah, if you don't know where to find him, um, let's just let you know, first of all. Um, you can tweet us at motorsport underscore 101. We're on facebook.com for us. That's motorsport 101. Um, those are the places to let you know if you've spotted RJ's car. Give us a shout. Um, we're on. It's uh, been found, Lewis. It's, it's been, been found. found. Oh, well, good, well done, RJ. Congratulations. The the, <laughs> the, the best intros to um, Motorsport One Hundred One episodes I've ever heard. 
Uh, <laughs> so, um, so good for you, RJ. It's been found safe and sound. Um, website is motorsport101.net. If you want to follow us on YouTube, uh, Dre's got a video blog about the uh, issue that has split the motorsport world this week. Um, Whatever you do, do not read the no, comments. Don't, just, I, I... just don't scroll down. Just don't scroll down. Don't. Uh, <laughs> YouTube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, as I said, our website is motorsport101.net. If you like us so much um, that you want to back us financially, um, I admit this may not be uh, pertinent to those that watch the video. Um, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, $5 early access, uh, a $5 backing earns you early access to both of our weekly shows, Bike Live and Motorsport 101. And from our next episode of Bike Live, which is in two weeks' time, episode VR46, um, we will then be going weekly from that point on, because, of course, episode 47 will be previewing the new World Superbike season. Um, so um, so make sure you join us in a couple of weeks um, for our Valentino Rossi special, episode 46, and we will be weekly from there for all the way through till the end of the motorsport season. Um, so make sure you join us um, from that point onwards. But we've got a show to get on with here, and we're going to talk testing. MotoGP has gone testing for the first time in 2018. Um, first of all, it's so good to be talking about MotoGP action taking place again. Uh, it's been a long winter. Um, and the test began uh, with a f- well, one test, one lap record broken into smithereens, courtesy of Ducati and Jorge Lorenzo. Um, and as Dre uh, kind of alluded to earlier on, Jorge Lorenzo has been very, very bullish um, over the course of this pre-season, and that's not just when he's uh, cutting uh, Twitter trolls down to size. Um, yeah. But um, this is the first instance so far, Dre, of Jorge Lorenzo backing it all up. Well, he has a knack for this, doesn't he? Where he's in a bit, he gets in a bit of hot water for a little while for whatever reason, then he comes out and he silences people. It's what he does. I remember doing that. I remember he did that at Aragon a couple of years ago and he won that race, dominated the field, and then did the shark fin celebration, yeah. which for some reason really ticked off James Toesland. Don't ask me why. He's normally the rational one on BT Sports coverage. But um, I know, he, he has a knack of this, where it's like whenever someone criticizes him, he has a strange tendency of being able to back himself up on Twitter and on the track. And um, wow, 158 in the 58s for Lorenzo. The all-time lap record of Sepang was obliterated. Um, it, it's exceptional stuff. And the most terrifying thing about it was that afterwards, Lorenzo said that was a good lap. He said it wasn't a great lap. Hmm. Uh, we all know Lorenzo is one of the better qualifiers, if not one of the best qualifiers in MotoGP history. So I, I reckon there's there's more on that bike still to come. I think there's a lot more still to come out of that bike. But if they're already talking about being in the 58, um, these bikes are incredible. They're getting faster and faster. And uh, yeah, Ducati setting the benchmark very high indeed. Hmm. David Emmett has uh, written a great piece. You might hear, him as, hear us refer to him a lot over the course of this episode. He did a fantastic roundup. Um, on the Sepang <laughs> test on his website, motomatters.com. Um, do check it out. It's a great read. Um, and he, he referred to the Ducatis as potentially being very, very hard to beat uh, this year. Um, and Jorge Lorenzo has already spoken about how this bike um, is much more easy to ride from his point of view. It's much more akin to his riding style um, than any bike previously <laughs> that he'd ridden, or the bike that he rode in 2017, which, of course, he struggled with. Um how much do we take from this, though? We, we say this a lot about testing. You be very careful what you what conclusions you draw from it. And this was a circuit where Ducati were first and second in the Grand Prix last year. And let's not forget as well, they had the benefit with Casey Stoner and Michele Pirro of a number of days of private testing before the official test began. Um, so they were pretty much dialed in before the test even got underway. 
So I guess we shouldn't be too surprised that Ducati hit the ground running, should we? Yeah, that's a very good point about about having they did get a lot of private testing in early. They got they got that down straight away. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They were probably going to be a little bit further along in their program compared to a lot of the other factories who you know probably haven't seen a motorcycle since Valencia. Um, so yeah, not a total surprise really that um, that Ducati is so dialed in. And as you said, Sepang is a track where they were comfortably first and second last year. You know, I know it was in the wet, but if anything, Marquez was on his, was on their level in the wet most of the time last year. But I mean, we saw it with our own eyes that like they curb stomped the field in Malaysia in the wet. No one else is in the same postcode as them. Um, so yeah, I'm not totally surprised Lorenzo was that quick. Um, but at the same time, it is still impressive to take it at face value. But again, and I'm going to say it's a lot here. It's only testing. Or you need to pump the brakes. Yeah, this one. But let's not forget that bike won six races last year for a reason. It's, this is probably not a fluke anymore that Ducati had this high up. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I always tend to find that in motorcycle racing, when it comes to testing, riders are perhaps more open and more honest than and not so much as guarded as they would be perhaps in Formula 1 testing, where you almost have to decode every interview that you hear um, as drivers try and play their cards very, very close to their chest. Um, yeah, I think the car's good. Yeah. I think the car is good. Yeah. It handles well, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I think Mercedes are still favourites. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you'll hear that a lot over the next six weeks. Um, yep. But, um, but uh, yeah, it is very striking, though. Not only Jorge Lorenzo, but Casey Stoner, too, um, saying that the feedback from his private test was only positive. Um, you know, mm. riders, you tend to hear when things are going badly, riders tend to not want to say very much. But it, it seems to me, Dre, that Lorenzo, Davizioso and Stoner as their test rider, they are taking every opportunity possible to tell the world how good they think this bike is. Yeah, they're they're not holding, they're not pl they're not playing up anything here. There's no mind games. There's none of that, as you say, that like like that PR level of resistance. If the bike isn't feeling well, they're all talking about how happy they are with this package. Um, and yeah, it's no coincidence. Ducati's gotten better and better and better as the last you know two or three years under the under the Delinea name and, and and how they've progressed themselves. And as you say, Stoner's a man of very few words normally. Yeah, so when he speaks, when, you listen. Yeah, but so when Stoner speaks, we tend to pay attention to it. And if he's saying the bike is great, and we all know Casey was ludicrously fast and still is, um, you know, at, at the best of times. Um, yeah, you know, with Dovi and Lorenzo, and Lorenzo again, a guy who doesn't speak very much unless he's he's pushed into a corner. Um, so if they're all, you know, pretty much coming out here and saying, you know, how. Yeah, how how strong the bike is, and they, they probably have got a really strong package, and that's going to be, you know, probably the main threat for the title this year, and arguably the best rider lineup on paper as well. If they've if Dovi and Lorenzo both click to this bike quickly, so there is a lot of potential for this Ducati team, but there's also no excuses anymore. Last no. year proved that they have a race a race winning championship winning level bike underneath them now, and. Anything less, I think, now will be considered a disappointment. Absolutely. They they did three days of private testing with Stoner and Piro. So altogether, last week, Ducati had six days of testing uh, at Sepang right. um, before um, the, the new season, which could prove so valuable to them. But Casey Stoner, speaking after um, his private test, this was before the three days that the uh, team ran up against the rest of their competition, um, he... I have to say, very, very glowing. He says, we didn't change the setup to try and find speed. We just found a good balance with the old bike and then 
tested it back to back with different parts and different settings on the new bike. I found it to be better in every area, um, which is Yikes. which is very very um, striking of how uh, positive the Ducati riders are. And what was also very striking, Dre, um, is not just how fast the factory Ducatis were, but how fast a number of the other Ducatis were. So we're now talking not only about GP18s, but this GP17 that won the Malaysian Grand Prix last season and how good a bike this is clearly to ride. I don't want to epitomize that more than Jack Miller, who looked immediately at home on the Pramac Ducati. Yeah, we can't joke about Jack Miller anymore. He looks like he's legitimately really good now. Fifth on all three days. Yeah, like, geez, one of the fastest guys out there all week long. It was, again, none of those things that just, it just wasn't a fluke. He just legitimately was this quick um, the entire weekend of testing. Um, Very impressive indeed from Miller. And it looks like, what Ducati are saying is holding up in the sense of they do have the easiest bike to ride, which hopefully would make sense given how many of them were in the field the last few years. I'd be, I'd be greatly concerned if their bike wasn't rider-friendly if half the paddock was using them, especially on the independent level. But um, yeah, you're right. Like Jack Miller, like this, this, is, this is not a fluke anymore. He's really, really fast. And after all those years of riding a difficult Honda and seemingly getting to grips with that by the end of last season, um, it looks... It, it, it looks like he's getting the hang of this now. And, um, yeah, he's looking very, very fast indeed. He's going to be one to keep an eye on, on that Pramac Ducati team for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was. he spent the last few years of his MotoGP career on a Honda, um, which has been touted as a bike that's notoriously difficult to ride um, for a rider, particularly one that's new um, to MotoGP. But Jack Miller, um, as I mentioned, fifth on all three days. And on the final day of the test, he did his fastest lap time of the test, a 159.3. Um, for Jack Miller, Very fast. which is ludicrously fast. That's just two tenths shy of Andre Vizioso on the factory bike and half second off Lorenzo's you know, meteoric fastest lap time of the week. But um, as Jay mentioned, it was no fluke. He did a 59.5 on the second day, which had him fifth again. And on the very first day, which started wet and then dried out, he did a two minutes point one, um, which was um, the fourth of five Ducatis that were in the top five. On that first day, Pedroza was quickest on day one from Davizioso, Lorenzo, Petrucci on the other Pramac bike and Miller, uh, who was fifth. So Ducati's all over um, the top of the timesheet, including uh, one of their newer uh, riders, Tito Rabat, who's a rider who I guess has found it difficult to justify his spot on the grid um, in recent seasons, given that he struggled comparatively on the Honda, especially up against his teammate last year, Jack Milladre. But Tito Rabat mm. was another one who was consistently competitive. Day one, he was 15th on a 2 minutes point nine. Day two, he was 15th on a 2 minutes point five. And then on the final day, he improved to a 59.5. Impressive from Tito. Um, listen, like you don't win a Moto2 season in the style he did and not have a, a very high level of talent. Like this... Like it's easy to forget that with Tito, how he how dominant he was when he won that Moto Two title in in 2014. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it, it looks like Honda has this knack of producing good riders, given the difficulties they often. I mean, I know many of their riders have said that their bikes are difficult to handle. If you can ride the Honda, Maybe, you can ride anything. Yeah, that seems to be the logic here. If you can get the best out of a Honda, you can get a decent setup going on a Honda. You could fly on another bike, and I think like Davizioso was was in a similar ballpark in the, in the first half of his career before joining Ducati at the, at the turn of the decade. Because um, this is year six for Dovi now at Ducati, we're getting into year six of it anyway. But um, yeah, no, no matter which way you slice it, it looks like Honda has a knack of 
basically refining riders to the point where they can go to another team and they can excel. And both Miller and Rabat have done that, the former Mark VDS riders, for both of them. And, um, yeah, as it stands, it looks like they're going to keep that going. And, yeah, very impressive stuff from both of the independent Ducati riders on this one. We'll talk about uh, Tito Rabat's teammate of Inter, Xavier Simeon, a bit later on as we uh, cover the rookies um, towards the end of this round of the Sepang test. Um, But let's move on to Honda, the second of the factories we're going to cover. And another factory who, by all accounts, had a pretty good week, Dre. Um, I guess the best way of summing up how good Honda look is that they had two riders who were consistently right at the top all week, and neither of them were Mark Marquez. Indeed, Pedrosa was super fast. Again, all test, Pedrosa was very comfortable. I think it was the first man under two minutes the whole test as well. Um, not quite at the very, very top end of the, of the timing sheet at the end of the at the end of the week, but still, um, both riders gushing with praise for the for the new Honda engine, and they seem to be very happy with it. So, um, is there a more potentially dangerous threat in MotoGP than a happy Marquez? Because we've we've heard a lot about his difficulties on that bike in the last couple of years and basically using his exceeding bag of talent to overcome said problems. But um, if if both Honda riders are happy going into the season, that can only be a good sign for a bike that has basically produced a lot of problems for them over the last couple of years. Mm, yeah, and Mark Marquez ended the week in seventh. Oh, he did the final day in seventh. This isn't the combined lap times I'm giving you, but the final day, Mark Marquez was seventh on a 159.3. Um, but he was at pains to point out that he didn't really, um, at any stage, go for a full-on time attack. Or the one ch- one time he did, it started to rain at the end of the second day, and he didn't get a clean lap in. Um, on combined lap times, he is eighth overall because Maverick Vinales' day two lap time was a shade faster. Um, we'll come on to Yamaha in a bit. Um, but yeah, they ran a brand new engine um, at this Sepang test and all three riders unanimously agreed that it was the better better way to go uh, than the older engine that they ran. Um, by all accounts, the new engine that Honda were running on their RC2 and 3V was on the aggressive side, where have we heard that before? Um, mm. But it appears, um, Dre, that when when you when you give the rationale for what they're doing, it does make a lot of sense that given that they have to homologate their engine for the full season before the first race in Qatar, it kind of makes sense to run an engine that's a little more aggressive and then tame it with electronics than run a underpowered engine and then be stuck with it for the full year. Exactly. I mean, that, that's why the electronics are there in the first place. These bikes wouldn't be able to be controlled if it wasn't for the electronics. That's the whole point of them. So if you can go out of your way to um, you might as well go on the aggressive side of the scale in terms of development and then hey if it's if it's not suited and it's not right and it needs refinement then yeah you yeah you, you can you can tame it in a little bit by the time the season starts you've still got time there's more testing sessions to come they're heading to thailand soon so keep an eye on that but um yeah they absolutely i, I think honda's got this the right way around i think they are definitely better off going on the aggressive side and then dialing it down if it's a bit too much. But hey, if all three of your main riders, Marquez, Pedrosa, and Crutchlow, all seem to like it, then hey, you, 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 you're already in the right ballpark. That's a good sign going forward. And if anyone proved it last year, it was Suzuki who proved that if you start the season with an underpowered engine, you're stuffed um, for the rest of the year. There's no way of making an underpowered engine more powerful if you're hamstrung by the concessions, which, by the way, Suzuki are no longer um restricted by them we'll come on to them later on but you know if you're in the position that honda yamaha and Ducati are where you cannot bring in an upgraded engine later on in the year you better get it right at the start of the year otherwise your season is pretty much set in stone from that point on so honda look as if they've 
they're deciding that they're going to go for 11 out of 10 and then work their way back to 10 um, rather than the other way around. And it tends to work for them because Mark Marquez can pretty much ride around any problem um, that they have. Um, And Mark Marquez, quietly confident, I think it's fair to say, over the course of that test, as I mentioned, didn't really chase an outright lap time. And the one chance he did um, get to try and put on some new tyres and go for a qualifying style time attack, the rain started to fall um, and down he went. Um, that was one save that even Mark Marquez couldn't make um, towards the end of day two when the uh, Sepang heavens opened. Um, but one of the guys who was very, very happy during the end of that week was Cal Crutchlow, one of the other Honda riders um, on the uh, one of the two now LCR Hondas. Of course, there are now two. He's got a teammate in Kaki Nakagami. Um, and it was very striking how happy Cal Crutchlow was uh, at the end of that week, who um, has been pretty keen to point out that Sepang isn't one of his stronger circuits um, overall on the calendar. Um, yeah, Cal Crutchlow ended the week third overall on a 159-0, and you really get the sense, looking at how well Honda have done over the last year or so, that his role now is essentially an extra tester for Honda with some factory equipment. is really a value. Yeah. It's really a valuable role for Honda. It is, and like, don't get it twisted. Like, as much as people want to make jokes about Crutchlow in, in the past and whatnot, like Honda very much value Crutchlow's input, and they've only given him more support as the years have gone by in his time at LCR. Um, because because like, Pedroza, he's Pedroza and Marquez in size and shape aren't exactly your normal riders, are they? Indeed, and Crutchlow said this last year that listen, well, we we are basically on the same bike. Um, it's just you know um, you know setup wise, he likes his chassis a little bit harder than Marquez does, but we're on more or less the same bike going forward, and that's useful, and as you say, like, Marquez and Pedrosa are small, Crutchlow is a bigger rider, and, you know, that will get them a little bit of extra input, and Crutchlow, let's not forget, is a GP race winner, and very, very quick in his own right, wet or dry, he's he's an excellent rider at his best, and he's a very valuable third wheel to have in your arsenal even if he's not directly in your team that he, he he basically is at this point anyway given given his situation and the amount of honda backing that he gets now so yeah if crutch you know, crutch though is very valuable for that input um he's a very under focused like basically he's, he's repsol honda's third rider at this point and, he, and he's, he's very useful for what they do so to get his input is, is invaluable in the same way that Casey Stoners and McKaylee Pirro's is for Ducati. Absolutely, yeah. He looks very, very good, Cal Crutchlow, across the Sepang test. As I mentioned, ended it third quickest on a 159-0, just two tenths shy of Lorenzo and just behind Pedroza. Second and third for Pedroza and Crutchlow, eighth for Marquez, and the two other Hondas were 15th and uh, 25th over the course of the test. Um, but those were two rookie riders on those two Mike Vidyas Hondas, and we'll come on to them. Uh, later on uh, but Kyle Crutchlow just to wrap up saying at the end of the test that um, he thinks 2018 will be his best chance ever to do well in the championship um, so he clearly feels he has got a good package underneath him and says that he feels as good as he did going into the 2013 season which was the season where he finished fifth overall on the Tech 3 Yamaha Indeed. where he went went to war essentially with his teammate then teammate Andrea De Vizioso uh, over the course of the season so um, Cal Crutchlow looking very very happy and Honda in general looking in pretty good shape um, one other point to make on them though um, they debuted as many teams do a brand new aero fairing on the front of their bike um, which is an area of MotoGP development that the paddock is kind of split on some teams and some factories want it to be left open so they can spend their money and do their research and improve their bikes some others feel that it could become an arms race um but one thing's for sure dre um i took one look at that brand new aero fairing on the honda and could have sworn it looked like a ducati 
Yeah, it's funny that. It's like, oh, break out the hammerhead. It's, 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 it's spreading. Um, it's a virus, clearly. Um, it's going up and down the paddock like Ducati with the innovators, and now all of a sudden everybody is copying them because, hey, Lorenzo was, was, was competitive on it. Dovi was able to win races on that fairing setup in the wet. Um, so, yeah, copy it. Copy the shit out of it, basically. Um, hopefully nobody notices. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, that's wel- welcome to motorsport development, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody changes the game, and everybody else follows suit. So that just tends to be how this works. Um, yeah, enjoy that MotoGP. We've not had that for a little while now, but uh, you better get used to it. Yeah, how long before that loophole gets uh, closed uh, in no uncertain terms? We'll keep an eye on that as the season goes on. That might well be a story of the season as Ducati, in particular, try to uh, stop Dorna from. Uh, preventing winglets and uh, an aero fairings from becoming a fixture uh, in MotoGP. Another team that debuted an aero fairing, and again, it looked very striking, uh, were Yamaha. Um, it was mainly debuted on their test bikes um, that were being run by Nakasuga and Nasane. Um, Nasane, incidentally, who is one of the front runners for the Tech 3 Yamaha gig. We'll tell you about one of the others later on. Um, and a bit of a mixed bag, I think this is best uh, best way of describing this for Yamaha which is kind of how we described their 2017 season Dre because if if yeah. you if you purely take each day in isolation and look at the second day you'd say wow this is like preseason last year Yamaha looking good Vinales and Rossi first and second if you look at the third day where Vinales was way off the pace in eighth or wait, in 18th should I say and Rossi in eighth you kind of fear that last year's issues with that M1 haven't necessarily been fixed yeah, like, it's funny, because I remember after day two, Valentino Rossi said the one-lap pace of that bike was very good. It, it says it felt like they may have solved some of their qualifying issues from last year. And then his old buddy, Jorge Lorenzo, blows the lap record out of the water on the final day. And I remember distinctively, they asked Rossi for his opinion on, on said lap, and Rossi said it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, looking at it, either that lap was even better than we first thought it was, or Yamaha still have some issues yeah. well, to go it, it, through. Yeah, it was striking that Yamaha just did not make that same level of progress. You'd expect, with another day's run, a rubber down on the track, that Yamaha would be able to improve on their lap times. But... On the final day, um, Valentino Rossi was a tenth slower than he was on day two. He did a 59.3 on day two, a 59.4 on the final day. And on the final day of the test, Maverick Vinales did a 2 minutes, 0.5, um, 1.2 seconds yeah. slower. Um, and it still seems as if that Yamaha, you don't quite know, based on track conditions and weather conditions, which M1's going to turn up. Right, and yeah, it, is, it still doesn't look like we know we know for sure how just how good or bad it this still bike looks is. As if on some days it's going to be blowing the field out of the water, on other days it's going to be midfield. It, it could be another case where it's like at certain tracks they're going to be invincible, and on other tracks they're going to struggle. That's what it looks to be seeing, like the polarizing differences between a place like Qatar, where the Yamahas were super fast. Or then somewhere like, say, like Haref last year, or or somewhere like Austria, where the Yamahas were a distant third in terms of the factory chase. The Yamaha, uh, the Yamaha are so happy that the likes of Catalonia, Haref, and Silverstone have all been relayed this winter. Yeah, they're, 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 trust me, they are clutching their lucky stars that that is a thing, because if they had to deal with that shit again this year, they'd have been in real trouble. But um, if Yamaha, like... Given that they've got two title runners in there in Vinales and Rossi, which, by the way, if, if Rossi doesn't re-sign now, then like I, I might as well just jump into the river. Well, that in a second. Yeah, but um, for what it's worth, but given the early pace of that team and given the potential in that team, and given that they really realistically have two title runners, 
That bike better be exceptional because they're going to take points off each other the way the season goes. We've talked about this with Ducati before, how they could potentially struggle here, especially if Lorenzo is a little bit too good for for Davizioso as a title fight could could happen between you know those two, possibly Marquez, possibly the two Yamahas. Hell, maybe even Johan. All we know, but um, if that's a thing, and that could be problematic to say the least. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that bike better be exceptional because anything less, they're going to get pegged. In terms <laughs> of positives for Yamaha, and there were positives, they debuted a new engine for their 2018 bike, which by all accounts is more powerful, gives them more top end without necessarily affecting the handling of the bike. So it looks as if the Yamahas, um, and this will help them in races, particularly in Qatar at the start of the season, if their bike's a little more faster down the straights, um, because without question, it's slower, quite considerably slower than Ducati and slower than the Honda in a straight line. Um, so that's one weakness, perhaps, that Yamaha might well have uh, you know, ironed out of their bike for this year. Mm. Um, but it still remains to be seen just how uh, predictable that bike is from circuit to circuit. Um, but you mentioned Valentino Rossi, um, and, of course, he's going to be 39 by the time this season starts. And many, many riders are making their decisions, and many teams are making their decisions about their rider lineups for next season, either before this season has started or very, very early in it. Um, because they want to get their lineups nailed down as soon as possible. And we've already spoken about the likelihood of Valentino Rossi making a decision before Mugello uh, with regards to whether he continues for next season. And we've spoken about this before the show started. We both have the same reaction. We took one look, Dre, at that 159.3 from Valentino Rossi on day two and both felt the same thing. There's no way he's retiring. Not a hope in hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I took one look at that time and I thought, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, he's definitely retiring. Yeah. Absolutely, without doubt. Yeah, he's, he's lost no, it. He's, lost a, it. He's, he's clearly lost it. Like it's starting to go. The old grey matter is going. He, 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 he can't. He can't do this anymore. Wrong. 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 If, like seriously, if World Superbikes has taught us anything in the last few years, you can still be a very competitive rider way into your forties. Valentino Rossi is still. An incredibly fit bracket, slightly reckless, but still incredibly <laughs> fit. Um, and he's still very, very fast and has still probably got the potential to win at least two or three rounds a year. And Rossi's magnum opus has always been, if the bike is fast and I feel competitive, he's going to keep going. And I've not seen any reason to suggest otherwise um, for in, during this test, and even MotoGP's own lead social media account was saying, "Yeah, we reckon the like the the the, the, the journo's in that camp. All reckon he's going to resign, probably by Qatar." Um, I pointed to David Emmett. They said he said that you know his camp wants like they'll they'll have a good idea by Cota round three, basically, but they'll probably get that deal wrapped up before then because you know it's always good for the shareholders and good for the PR to get Rossi tied down as soon as possible. And I think he will. I don't see any reason why that would change. So yeah, I think I think it's I think it's gangbusters. I think Rossi's going to resign very quickly, just like he did a couple of years ago during his last extension. Mm, you kind of you kind of wondered as well when they signed Maverick to a new contract before the season even started, before testing even got underway, whether they would make a very quick decision with Rossi too. Um, if Vinales is already signed until the end of 2020, um, which was a story that broke before we uh, uh, since our last show, and we we be remiss not to mention it um because vinales because vinales was quickest on the second day of the test and in, in combined lap times was seventh fastest um over the test on a 159.3 um it's a vote of confidence in two respects isn't it dre that for uh, yamaha and vinales to sign up till the end of 2020 a it's a vote of confidence in from yamaha towards maverick that 
the rider that started last season is the rider that they believe will continue going forward and not the rider that finished the year who was struggling badly. Um, but equally, with Yamaha kind of as the third best factory now rather than the second or the first, Vinales mm. clearly has every confidence that Yamaha are going to catch up or is there simply just no option for him to move up the grid? I just think they needed an announcement to get through their 14-hour-long press conference to <laughs> unveil their blog. It's like, listen, we need to get some news to keep the guys going. Like, Maverick, do mind doing us a solid here? It's only so long, like, everyone's going to talk about the new white livery, the new white movie style logo. The logo's white now. It's it's important. It's part of our brand. But um, yeah, um, shout out to anyone that got through that entire um, press conference and like uh, all the Jungle Run-esque doors that was in front of everything. Yeah. Um, if you got to the end there, well done. You have my respect. But um, yeah, Maverick Vinales re-signing. Again, no real surprises there. I don't think anyone was good. I mean, we know, we know Maverick has history of the Honda camp. He was never going to go there, not in a million years. And Ducati have got their overrider issues to take care of at the moment with Dovi in a contract year and Lorenzo in a contract year. But they're going to want to obviously tie those guys down. Ducati's made it clear they want to sign them up again pretty quickly if they can afford to. Um, so, yeah, the way it's going right now, it was a no-brainer move. Maverick was probably going to stick around whatever happens. He's, he was the leader of Yamaha this past season and like the only guy that really looked like he could win on a regular basis until the second half of the season anyway but um yeah like no brainer get maverick tied up and yeah if you're a maverick that that's your team going forward in the future i'm sure so why the hell would you leave yeah so maverick Vinales is staying at yamaha until the end of the 2020 um moto gp season um there were two of the yamahas of course or two other yamahas that are going to race this season at the test there were six in total if you include their two test riders who were running but uh, tech three yamaha were there too uh yoni hernandez of course was there um in place of jonas folger who of course has pulled out the 2018 season and essentially hernandez was there because tech three needed another guy to ride the bike and he was available and fitted the bill so hernandez was there testing he was predictably the slowest uh, of the riders the second slowest behind uh, or ahead of Michele piro um over the course of that test so um very little you can add um to what the colombian did um but what joan zarco got up to was interesting dre he finished the week 10th overall uh, on a 159.5 um so 10th doesn't sound particularly impressive but he was only 0.6 off the fastest time <laughs> Uh, which right. shows that MotoGP's not got any more spread out. It's just as close as it was last year, um, which is great for us yep. to see. Um, but what was interesting about it all with Joan Zarco is that by the end of that test, he essentially decided that for the rest of pre-season uh, and potentially for the rest of the season, he's going to stick with the 2016 M1 chassis that he ran for most of last season. And if anything tells us that Yamaha went in completely the wrong direction with their 17 bike, that is it. Yeah, that is all the walking proof you needed to know that last year's chassis was dog shit. Um, yeah, yeah, he wants none of this. Um, so yeah, like he, he wants nothing to do with that 2017 chassis that clearly caused Yamaha so many problems last season. He's gonna go. He's gonna stick with what he knows. The 2016 bike served him very well last season, as we obviously saw. Um, so hey, why change a good thing? Uh, at the end of the day, it clearly worked for Zarco. He was often better than the factory Yamaha team on a handful of occasions last year. He were running that 2017 chassis. It's obvious Yamaha have developed their bike in accordance to that 2016 chassis that served them a lot better the year before. So, yeah, like, let's call a spade a spade here. Like, that chassis was clearly the way to go. Zarco was good on it. He likes it. 
again, why change a good thing? Yeah, uh, Zarko speaking after the test on, on motorsport.com, which is basically the only place you can get your motorsport news nowadays, let's be, uh, let's be fair, um, said... The, yeah. At the end of day three, when he returned to the old bikes, he did try the 17 Yamaha on day two. He said it was the better option for him, and it makes my work easier. Um, today, I used my bike from last year to have all the information and understand even more things about my feeling. In the morning, was the perfect condition to be real fast, and he did a 59.5. At least I could have the grip I was missing the day before. For what I feel at the moment, it is a better option for me because it makes my work easier. Um, and he wants to try and find a way to ride as Lorenzo was riding it two years ago because I think doing what he is doing will help me to be faster. Um, so um, Zarco clearly thinking long and hard about how he's going to improve on his brilliant rookie season, and he feels the best way to do that is by essentially sticking with what he knows um, for 2018 yeah, rather than going with a bike which has clearly proven that it doesn't really know what it's going to do itself from circuit to circuit. So uh, Joan Zarco sticking with that bike. So... Um, by the time MotoGP goes testing again, which will be at Buriram in Thailand, the newest Grand Prix venue this year, um, in two weeks' time, he will be on the 2016 uh, factory Yamaha chassis, the bike that he ran last year. Um, I mentioned a few moments ago that Yamaha were now essentially the third fastest factory in MotoGP. Well, actually, at the Sepang test, they were the fourth fastest if you go mm. on combined lap times, because ahead of them, um, in sixth overall, was the Suzuki of Alex Rins. Um, and he did, <laughs> incredibly, a 159.348 uh, on the final day of the test, which is half a second off the outright pace. I'm pretty sure that lap time would have put him on pole or close to it um, in the Malaysian Grand Prix um, late last year. Um, we did speculate about this, Dre, uh, towards the end of last season, about if there was one team that was going to benefit um, from you know 2018 and perhaps the concessions being lifted, Suzuki were perhaps the most likely team to move forward. And with a new engine armed with them for this year, and more importantly, a fully fit Alex Rins, it looks as if they're going to move forward. Yeah, getting concessions back and Alex Rins fully fit for an entire season would be a, a very nice way to go, I reckon. Um, for what it's worth, a 59-3 would have put Alex Rins just outside the front row right. at, at, at Sepang last year. The pole time that, that time I Pedrosa was a 59-2. All the, the front row were... The front row were all on 59.2s. It was a very close qualifying session, only a quarter of a tenth covering uh, the, the front row there. But as said, Rin's exceptionally fast. My goodness, man. Um, 59.3 for a guy in his second season. That, that, that's incredible. And, you know, another yet more proof that Alex Rins is, is basically proving his potential more and more as the days go by. But, um, yeah, Suzuki with concessions back, with a little bit of extra help from the sport to get them back up the field after a pretty disappointing 2017 season, if we're honest. Um, it looks like that bike's also it looks like they're finding a little bit more out of that Suzuki, and it's only going to get faster, and Rins is only going to get better as time goes on. Looks like Iannone's a little bit happier down there in that camp as well. So a lot to take away from as, as positives from Suzuki from this test. Yeah, it looks like they're back. It has to be said. They um, they also had Sylvain Gintoli, um, Dre's uh, Sylvain Gintoli, making a stopover in Malaysia um, last week um, to run for them. And yes, I say, Rins was sixth quickest over the course of the test. Um, Andre Iannone was 13th. Uh, overall, but there were only a quarter of a second between the two of them um, on outright lap time. So, um, yeah, this is a team who looks as if they're moving forward again uh, for 2018. And as I mentioned, Dre, last season they got it badly wrong with their engine. Um, once they'd homologated it, they soon realised that the engine that they'd homologated wasn't good enough and wasn't powerful enough for the new season. But that pressure's off them now. Um, they can develop their bike, they can introduce new engines later in the season, 
and they can go testing more often through the season than, than other factories can. So there's every reason for Suzuki not necessarily to go quite as to the heights that they went to with Maverick Vinales in 2016, where they won a Grand Prix at Silverstone. But with a year's experience behind him, is Alex Rins going to be one of the dark horses this year? Could very well be. Let's not forget he was faster than only down the stretch. Had a couple of really exceptional finishes in the top five as well. Fourth in Valencia ahead of both factory Yamahas. Um, So again, like the potential is certainly there. And again, as you say, they'll have a few extra advantages come their way with the concessions back. Extra testing. Engine development is huge. We saw what KTM was able to do this year with with engine development. It's not going to be quite the same because Suzuki's probably got a better base than what KTM has. Um, More on that later. But like the potential is certainly there. And Rins could like it would not surprise me if like Rins would be in the top six or seven for the title this year. Probably in that sort of Johan Zarco, maybe Cal Crutchlow sort of ballpark with the you know the the upper midfielders. Yeah, I could see him nicking um, a podium this year. Absolutely, I would, Which would not surprise me. Concessions again. Yeah, it would not surprise me at all if Alex Rins got on the podium at some point, which is actually would probably be quite counterproductive at this yeah. point. <laughs> more, the more fourth places, the better, Alex. Um, it will be uh, will be Suzuki's mantra for this Fourth's year. Fourth's an underrated position anyway. It's, it's, it's a good position, really, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Suzuki looking good, it's fair to say, heading into the new season, although, of course, there are two more preseason tests to go. Um, in Bururam and then in uh, Qatar a week ahead of the new season um, in March. Um, two more factories to go, starting with KTM, who were the second worst, if you like, to use a slightly unflattering expression. Um, but they were the second uh, off the bottom last season. And uh, to refer to David Emmett's, uh, David Emmett's column once again, Dre, uh, KTM found it not easy, but easier to get from two and a half seconds off, which way that they were at the start of last season, to a second off by the end of the season. It looks as if catching up that last second is going to be a lot harder than the progress of last year. Yeah, I've, I've talked about this before on Motorsport 101, where I often call it the law of diminishing returns, where the more you invest in something, the, the gains are going to be less and less as the more you put into it as time goes by. As you say, KTM started quite a way away. I mean, two seconds is significant in MotoGP. They're now only really about a second, maybe a, maybe 1.2 from from where they where they really need to be from an optimal race winning position to challenge for wins like as the field moves forward making those extra few attempts to get the gap from as you say from a second to maybe 0.5 that's when it's going to be really challenging for ktm and as we mentioned like the field is stacked it is more stacked than it's ever been maybe not Mm. in terms of rider quality but in certain terms of bike quality um where even even the independents can now challenge for wins. We saw it on multiple occasions last year where Johan Zarco and Danilo Petrucci were on the brink of victories. And, you know, they very nearly did on several occasions. So it's no longer the sort of sport where you knew the, the winning bike was going to be orange or blue. Um, it, it's not like that anymore now. It's, it's gotten to a point now where you know, anyone in the top 10 has, has got an outside chance of a victory if, if they have the perfect weekend. And, yeah the way it's going ktm could again get into that top six range i think a bit more frequently this year but this is going to be the real challenge for them now finding that extra half second now they're in now that they have a competitive team underneath them and a competitive bike um making the little gains now that's going to really turn them from a top 10 bike to a top five bike that's going to be the difficulty for them going forward it looks as if that is going to be their approach this season it's going to be much more incremental gains this year because they they essentially turned their bike upside down by the end of last year 
um, to the point where their in- engine from the start of the season wouldn't fit in the new bike um, by the end of the season in Valencia, which is why Paul Espargo had to start it from the pit lane. Um, and they're going to make much more incremental, s- smaller, steadier gains as the season goes on because they didn't actually take part in this Sabang test with much of a different bike than they finished last season with. It was a very, very similar machine, and they're then going to, we believe, make more changes to it for Thailand and then for Qatar um, next month. Um, but, yeah, it was... When you look at their test overall and look at the position they finished in, all of their three riders were on the same sort of lap time. Uh, Espargaro, Calio, and Smith were 17th, 18th, and 19th. Um, Espargaro on a 2 minutes point two, Calio point four, and Smith point five. They're only 1.4 off, um, which when you wind the clock back to the Sepang test of 2017 is a lot closer than they were then. Um, so they're starting from a better base, and you kind of wonder with KTM whether more of their progress this year will simply come from turning up to circuits with already a year's worth of data with them. Um, so they're going to be arriving in Qatar, having raced there last year, and have a season's worth of data. So they're not starting from scratch; they're starting from a base of having already worked at that circuit yeah. a year ago. Um, and in from that sense, KTM may make progress that way. But yeah, they're not going to be able to just find half a second from one race to the next anymore. Um, those days are long gone um, for KTM. So in many respects, this is where the hard work for them really begins. Um, Embrace the grind. Uh, the grind. And in many respects, Dre, it was a bruising test for them because they ended the second mm. day with their lead rider in hospital. Yeah, uh, Paul having an enormous accident. Good Lord, it was a biggie. Um, luckily, rider okay. Um, bike, not so much. Uh but um, that certainly wouldn't have helped their testing program, having their, their lead rider go down in a, in a heap and missing significant time um, during that test with an, aw- with an awful accident. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, KTM's test to me basically said, welcome to the big boys now, KTM, because the, the real work begins now. And, yeah, it, it, they like 17th, 18th, and 19th on combined times is not where KTM wanted to be. I, I guarantee you that, given they were ending the year with top 10 finishes. And I, if we, I think we said at the end of last season that KTM should be thinking top sixes for next year. They should be thinking, like, you know, we, they should be able to get in with the factory boys, the upper factory boys, a little bit more frequently next year. Then we might have to rein that expectation a little bit because um, they're, they're, I don't think KTM are where they need to be right now. I think I, I, I think they're a, a still about another half second from where they can comfortably be in the top 10. I mean, as you said, 1.4 on face value is not bad at no. all. The problem is, is that, like, being a second now will now put you out of the top 10. It's that close. I mean, you look at the Sapan qualifying grid from last year. Cal Crutchlow was nine tenths off pole position he started 10th on the fourth row um so like that was a that was a two minutes point one and that was faster than anything ktm produced at the test which again kind of says it all really because their, their best time in qualifying that that time around was polder spagger over two minutes point seven they're only a little bit quicker than that now three months later with a test underneath them so Clearly, there's still work to be done in that KTM camp, and there's more to come. Mm, yeah, I'm just looking back to the Sepang test of 2070 this time last year. And uh, at the end of that test, they were 1.9 off um, with Bradley Smith. Um, that was their fastest time of the test, and that was the test where Maverick Vinales, as you can imagine, uh, was dominant. Uh, I would say I don't think Sepang is a circuit that's necessarily going to flatter KTM. Um, if any circuit's going to perhaps highlight their weaknesses, it might well be that one. Um, so they're probably going to be closer at other circuits as they as they go through the year. But yeah, um, a difficult first test of the season for, for that team. 
um, it, it's fair to say, and we'll see if they they do move forward because yeah, they, there are there are outside factors, aren't there, that are going to affect KTM this year, and much less are much likely the improvement now of Suzuki, which is going to perhaps push them back a little bit. The improvement of riders on Ducatis, the likes of uh, Rabat and Miller, uh, and potentially Simeon, uh, who might well be quicker than we thought uh, this year. And we haven't even mentioned the now renamed Angel Nieto team, previously the Aspar team, um, which mm-hmm. run Ron Bautista and Abraham, who are no, no doubt going to be there or thereabouts. Um, so that midfield is going to be every bit as competitive, if not more competitive than it was last year, um, where KTM picked up a number of scalps as the season went on. So, yeah, they're going to have a lot of hard work ahead of them. Um, but they're ready for the challenge. There's no question that KTM are going to keep spending that money to make the, the ground up. And to Bradley Smith's great credit, um, he did 77 laps on the final day of the test, which uh, is just which is seven laps short of four race distances worth. Um, wow! In, in the sweltering heat of Sepang, so they're That's a lot so of they're miles. certainly putting the miles in um, to try and make that ground up. I mean, I think part of the reason he had to do so many laps was because they were a rider down because they told Paul to take the last day off, understandably so. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Bradley Smith putting the miles in on that final day as the team looks to. Uh, close the gap and um, let's see if they do so next test as I mentioned is in a couple of weeks time um, in Thailand one of the factory to go and that factory is Aprilia the factory that earned the wooden spoon um, last season having dropped down <laughs> to sixth on the final race weekend of the season um, and has Sepang given us any hope or any reason to hope that they're going to move up from sixth in the Manufacturer's Championship this season. Elijah Spargo ended it 14th, um, just a second off. Um, he did a 159.9 um, on the final day, but we kind of saw occasional performances like that from Spargo, didn't we, last year? Um, the occasional Indeed. stand-up performances. Scott Redding was 23rd um, on the other factory Aprilia. He was 1.9 seconds off, call it two seconds. He did 2 minutes 0.8. Um, and the team aren't going to, it appears, Dre, get their new engine, which will give them a bit more grunt and a bit more of a fighting chance against the rest of the machines on the grid potentially until the Grand Prix in Qatar um, which tells us immediately that Aprilia are starting the season on their back foot it does say that and um, yeah as you said Alicia Spagaro again 59.9 is not terrible the problem here is that the field were in the low 59s high 58s towards the end of that yeah, test if and- test was a qualifying session he wouldn't have made Q2 yeah, and Alicia Spagaro is capable of a lot more than that. We know he's capable of a lot better than that. He has a, a few exceptional performances on that Aprilia, and we know it's a team that tends to play catch-up with other factories. That, that's been the way Aprilia's been for the last three years since they've really come back. And, um, yeah, like Alicia deserves a better bike than that, quite frankly. And they, they're pretty should be capable of better. The problem, like, the only thing going for them here is that they have such an enormous set of egos in that camp that they will be so incensed that they're the, the only finishing 14th that I'll speed up production on their new engine yeah. I hope yeah a bit of reverse psychology <laughs> going on from Aprilia to try and that's uh, the logic to try and hurry them up at Noali to try and improve that bike um, and, and Scott Raining 23rd uh, at the test um, behind the likes of well behind three of the four rookies uh, he was behind Morbidelli behind Nakagami behind Simeon um, and uh, only just ahead uh, of Thomas Lutie, who was riding a MotoGP bike for the first time in his life, um, or for the first time um, yeah. since he ran that CRT bike years and years ago. Um, he was only ahead of him by a quarter of a second. Um, I wonder how quick Sam Lowe's had been on that bike. But that's not the first time, or the last time you hear us say that this year, um, as, mm. uh, as Scott Reddy ended the test in 23rd. Um, so work to do 
um, for Aprilia as we go forward. And as I say, by the time we get to the first race in Qatar, we might see them with a brand new engine and a bit more grunt. God, they're going to need it on that long straight of Qatar, aren't they? Um, when we get to the first race um, of the season. So we'll see how our, our Aprilia get on. Uh, when we get to the first round in Qatar next month. Um, before we move on, though, uh, let's concentrate a little bit on the four rookies um, who will be entering MotoGP this season. As I mentioned, they may all be a fifth, but we'll cover that at the end of the show. Um, Takaki Nakagami at LCR, teammates Cal Crutchlow, uh, Frankie Morbidelli and Thomas Luti, the champion and runner-up from last year's Moto2 World Championship, who are teammates at Mark BDS, and Xavier Simeon, who finished P nowhere in Moto2 last year, but yet gets himself uh, a MotoGP spot um, with the Avintia team um, on a Ducati, a two-year-old Ducati. And by all accounts, Trey, I think they all did pretty well. We'll start with the fastest of them. Takaki Nakagami, who ended the test in 15th position on a two minutes dead, just 1.2 seconds off the outright fastest time. By any measure, for any rookie, that's impressive, isn't it? No, I was impressed by that. I thought that was very good. Um, yeesh. I, I um, like to, to, to be that competitive right out of the box is a good sign. Um, um, yeah, I, I can't say any more than that, really. It's still early days, obviously, but um, t- he, he's in there. He's in the mix with, with the midfield already, and that's a good sign. That's exactly what LCR need out of their, out of their second guy now. I know Crotto's going to be a great team leader for him, but you know, if they're going to have a second bike, it better be with someone that's worth a damn. And uh, Taka looks solid already going in, and I think that's a very good route. Very good rookie test for, uh, for for Taka going forward. He's only going to get faster as he gets more acclimatised to the bike as I'm going forward. Yeah, Morbidelli, uh, the reigning Moto2 champion, finished the week in 20th overall on a 2 minutes 0.5. Um, he was 1.6 seconds off the outright pace. Um, and I wonder whether that's going to help him or hinder him, the fact that he's going to have another rookie on the sister bike within that team. Um, they're going to, I guess, similar to, or certainly from Mike Vidis' point of view, they hope, they're going to do a similar deal to Tech 3 season and spur each other on. Yeah, you think so. I mean, it's 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 not a bad environment for him. There's a lot of rookies in that in that camp. I mean, it's, it feels like um, a, more of like a fresh faced sort of camp at the bottom of the field right now. A lot of rookies in there, and they will absolutely spur each other on. I mean, it's in their best interest to do so. So. Yeah, I mean, again, they'll only get faster as time goes on. And, I mean, Thomas Lutie's still playing catch-up right from the start. So, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to out of that camp going forward, I reckon. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about Thomas Lutie as well, um, who ended the week of the regular race riders. So if you discount um, the testers like Nozane, Nakasuga, Piro, and if you discount Yoni Hernandez, who's not going to race this season in MotoGP, we already know he's going to race in World Superbikes, uh, Lutie was the slowest man, but... Uh, this guy's almost on a bit of a hiding to nothing, isn't he? He's missed the first test already um, in Valencia after the injury that he picked up towards the end of his Moto2 season last year. Um, so he's already behind the eight ball as it is. Um, but I think we have to give this guy credit, don't we? He started the test on a 2 minutes 3.7 on the opening day. Um, by the end of the test on day three, he'd improved to a 201.1. Um, so he'd found 2.6 seconds in three days as he learns to ride that MotoGP bike um, and ended the final day of the test just 2.2 of the outright pace. Um, Thomas Lutie is a very intelligent guy, as we know, and a very quick thinker. So uh, he looks as if he's going to have to be a quick learner, but that deserves a claim, doesn't it? It doesn't sound an awful lot to be slowest and 2.2 off, but given how he started that test, he's making progress quickly. Yeah, I mean, find, finding two and a half seconds over the course of the test is already a very good sign. Um, 
and yeah like he's only going to get faster as well again as time goes on another guy that you know he's intelligent he'll apply that to the bike he'll apply that to his craft he's he's so good at what he does um yeah i think just fine going forward and he's he's, he's improving quickly to the point where he's almost um with with the bottom end of the field in terms of outright speed and I think, again i think that will come just by spending more time on the bike he's naturally going to pick up a lot of time where he needs to so um yeah, he just needs more track time for me more than anything else. And, he, and obviously, he will get that between now and, and, and obviously the season starting in Qatar in March. Um, but yeah, a good start for the to your things considered. Now for the greatest example of damning a rider with faint praise you've ever heard. Um, Xavier Simeon, uh, who was universally <laughs> universally panned, I think, when he was given that MotoGP ride with Avintia um, late last season. Um, he ends the test, though. Um, in uh, 20th overall on a 2 minutes point seven, so 1.9 off the pace, and ahead of Scott Redding, Bradley Smith, and Thomas Lutie um, by the end of the test. Um, Xavier Simeon, not terrible as it goes. No. Um, <laughs> it's easy to rag on the pay rider, <laughs> isn't it? Um, it's, it's our own fault. We're all F1 fans. It's kind of embedded into our nature at this point. It's 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 an itch that doesn't go away. It, it's, um, another, it's another rider who just emphasises the value of, if you're a rookie in particular, jumping on a Ducati. Yeah, like again, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a rookie that people don't take very seriously, stick him on the bike that's easiest to ride and say have a go, Xavier. And you know, it's not that Xavier was terrible or anything. He's a Moto Two race winner after all, and he's had flashes of brilliance in that class. Not very frequently, but they still count. Um, but listen, like the guy was never terrible in Moto Two, and again, if you're gonna if you're gonna give a rookie a shout, you you put him on the best possible bike where he can learn quickly. Um, so again, like surprisingly quick from Xavier, not terrible. He might actually be possible in that in that in that lineup as time goes on. Um, but yeah, again, like not bad for a rookie at all. Again, the bike's certainly helpful in that factor. Yeah, uh, he's. Uh, I mean. I wonder if we'll be having similar conversations around Simeon as we were having this time last year with uh, Carol Abraham, who we, again, weren't quite um, convinced had what it took to uh, cut it in MotoGP anymore. Not saying Simeon's going to stick it on the front row anytime soon, but um, perhaps he will surprise us um, as the year goes on. MotoGP then has two more preseason tests to go um, before the season starts. First of those will be at Buriram in Thailand, host of the first ever Thai Grand Prix later this year. And that test begins in a couple of weeks' time. You're back with us on Bike Live, and let's switch paddocks and talk World Superbike testing because they've been testing too. Their season, of course, is just three weeks away um, as they get underway in Phillip Island on the last weekend of February. Um, they've been testing over the course of the last fortnight at Jerez and at Portimao, um, and one common theme has been struck, uh, Dre, through the two preseason tests, and it's a theme we got used to last season, Kawasaki dominance. <laughs> Yeah, Jonathan Ray wins, lol. Um, stop me if you've heard that one before. Um, yeah, that was definitely the overriding theme of what I 
me um, during the testing her F and Portimao. Yep. Kawasaki seemingly aren't all that bothered about a rev limit for now. Um, yeah, straight and Sykes still very, very fast indeed. R- apparently Ray's race pace is absolutely terrifying from what I've been told by people in the know. And Sykes, again, still his qualifying pace looks fantastic. Um, so, yeah, Kawasaki on top of the timesheets. I know, you're shocked, right? Yeah, Tom Sykes' lap at Jerez, which was the fastest of that test, was a 38.8, which is quicker than Marco Malandri's pole lap um, of last year at the same circuit. Um, And Jonathan Ray was quickest as well. He was in the 41s around Portimao as well uh, as he topped that particular test. Um, And in many ways, I suppose, Ray, that doesn't tell us anything that we wouldn't have predicted ourselves beforehand, um, that Kawasaki had the dominant package in the field. In many respects, the big question, as it has been, certainly from my point of view, for the last two or three years, is who has the dominant force, who is the dominant force within that team? Because if Kawasaki remain as dominant as they're looking, our best bet of a championship is to be looking for the other Kawasaki rider to give Johnny Ray a race. Yeah, like it's the question is now is like can anybody give them a fight? And short answer, it's not looking likely here at the moment. Um, um, it's like it's it's Tom Sykes or bust here, everybody. Um, good luck, Lewis. Um, <laughs> we've been here before, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, I I I don't. Like, Ducati had a very quiet test by the looks of it. The the main threat might be coming from someone else, which we'll get to. But it's looking like Kawasaki is still comfortably fastest. But hey, given the new rule book, they could end up getting crippled quite quickly the way this is going. So it's, it's hard to say for sure um, on this one. But oof. It's not looking ideal, put it that way. Six tenths clear of the field uh, on a qualifying tyre, it has to be um, reiterated, um, at the Hareth test. And he said, um, we have a different mindset this year. Um, And we we kind of hinted at this late last year when he sort of said that he was going to go back to being the old Sykes um, because his tactic of 2017 of sacrificing a bit of single lap pace and focusing on the races a bit more plainly didn't work um he only he only won twice and uh, had fewer poles than his teammate um so it makes you think that perhaps we're going to go back to being or back to seeing the more familiar sykes of basically dominating super poles everywhere he goes and um perhaps um running his tires a little ragged late in races that's probably i would say as a as the sort of the sykes he found amongst us that's probably his best way of going just do you and do you better than you've been before rather than trying to reinvent yourself and try and be more like Johnny Ray. Um, because, you know, all, all you're going to be is a pale imitation of him. Um, you might as well just do what makes you so good and, and stick at that. Um, and Sykes said, um, he said, I feel very positive and prepared for the season coming up. And that was something that he said before even going to Portimao. Um, and and, and mm-hmm. you think back to last year, Dre, when Tom, uh, Jonathan Ray said, after the Jerez test in November of 2016, that he already felt ready for the new season. And once again, we're hearing very, very similar sentences from Kawasaki riders. Yeah, it's it's looking ominous. Again, it's 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 looking like they are going to be the team to beat again going forward. And it looks like the camp is, uh, if anything, only really worried about the rules coming back to bite them more than anything else. They're looking confident. They're looking ominous. They're looking very fast indeed. And uh, may the good Lord help the rest of the field on this one because they're looking like they could they could, they could, could cakewalk another title here because like, I, I don't see the threat. I really don't. No, Jonathan Ray, very, very confident at the end of the Portimao test where he was quickest. He did uh, a 141.485, which was his fastest time and the fastest time 
uh, over the course uh, of that test. Um, and yeah, jo Johnny Ray saying, we've ticked all the boxes and the feeling with the bike has improved. I have woken up because in her rest last week, I was still fast, but I did not feel 100% on the bike here. I was much better on the first lap. So uh, Johnny Ray's woken up, guys, and he's already right on top of the timesheets and looking strong. Um, amazing, amazingly, um, if you look at the race riders, if you discount test riders, because third fastest was Nicolo Canaper on the uh, Yamaha. He's their test rider. The next fastest race rider was not a Ducati rider, nor a Yamaha rider. It was Leon Camia on the Red Bull Honda Dre. Yeah, this was a surprise. My gosh. Um, wow. Um, Camia, very, very fast indeed. Rider for hire. I'm so yeah, proud of him. If can develop a bike, uh, it's Camia. Exactly. And uh, he is doing very, very well indeed. Uh, I, think, I think he's doing great with things in that Honda camp already. Looking like he's very comfortable there. And, you know, the talent that, that showed his, his class at MV Augusta seemingly coming through again here. He's doing a fantastic job over there. And again, I, I'm, I'm curious to see where that Honda plays up once the whole field settles in a little bit. Because he could single-handedly spear under the great things. He's a very talented rider. Um, and, uh, yeah, if he, if he can carry forth you know what he's done you know with with envy augusta into into honda there's no reason why he can't be thinking elusive podiums that he was so close to getting at the envy augusta team yeah and it's interesting reading cameo's quotes from the uh the test speaking to mcn and uh shout out by the way for mcn's new world superbike reporter you might know him his name is craig haynes uh who's gonna have a very busy time of it in 2018 hey. now covering, covering world supers for mcn as well as his commentary duties for eurosport um, this year. Um, but Camille, speaking at the ref test, um, said, I, I quote, even Mark Marquez wouldn't have won on the MV, <laughs> which was which was Leon Camille's own comment, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. Um, so um, he's kind of justifying his own his own d decision to leave that team and basically say that the ceiling's a lot higher at Honda. Um, there's a lot more potential to go further on than that MV would ever go. Um, he said, in right. year one, we had factory support. In year two, we had nothing. In year three, almost nothing. Um, for a small team with zero budget, what we did was phenomenal. Um, you never end a strong relationship easily. Telling them I was leaving was hard, but I knew it was time for a change. Um, and interesting as well, what he says later on, when he says there are some really clever people here, the input from the technicians and me will help, but it's all about how quickly we can turn things around. Support from HRC or the factory eight-hour team could speed things up, but it's hard. You need time, data, and information. You make changes, hope they work, and move on to the next step, but all the other teams are doing the same. You've got to be very quick off the mark and very proactive. I would like to have a proper dedicated test team, but it would require a lot of investment and more staff. Staff. I don't know whether there is budget for that. We need to make every little thing count. He's only been there a couple of months, Drave. Already, it sounds like Cammy is already trying to shake the tree a little bit and get a little bit more help from Honda. Yeah, he's saying, listen, we got something here. Give me a bit more and we might be able to challenge for something big here, basically. Thinking maybe podiums or even even challenging for wins. Because Camille is seeming very confident here. He, he clearly likes where this team is right now. If he's already basically poking at Honda to say, can you give us a little bit more, please? So like, you know, because it feels like they got something, and that's a good sign. Camille, that follows on to what Camille said about the 2018 rule changes, which we'll, we'll come on to now, where um, the regulations are being interpreted, certainly if you're wearing green and black, uh, which we'll come to in a second, as a let's slow down Kawasaki operation. Um, Leon Camille says that he disagrees 100% with the notion that Dorna don't care about World Superbikes uh, and that they've been proactive. He says there's two ways of doing it. Clamp down on Kawasaki or allow everyone to do what they want. Maybe the rules should be more open. Um, so Kami are clearly of the view that teams should be allowed to, rather than stop teams spending and stop teams developing, 
allow them all to be a little bit more open about what they do with their bikes. And he clearly wants Honda to spend a bit more money to make that new Fireblade um, the competitive machine that he clearly feels it can be. By contrast, mm-hmm. <laughs> by contrast, Jonathan Ray says that there is a clause stating that they can pretty much decide who gets penalised, they being Dorna, and who doesn't. It's going to make for great entertainment, but I really don't understand it from the sporting side. I hope it works for them, but these are uncertain times. Tom Sykes, typically as a Yorkshireman, slightly more vocal. It shouldn't be allowed. It's penalising people for their efforts, and I disagree with it. We're not even allowed to change gear ratios if the RPM varies, i.e. if the rev limits are brought down, they can't change their gear ratios accordingly. It's a mess, um, Sykes says. You, you, you Yorkshire lads know, hold no. nothing back, do you? Um, but he has a point, doesn't he, that this, this regulation change for this season... I mean, we were talking about this off-air before we started. It, Kawasaki look as if they're going to start this season clearly the fastest machine on the grid um and right. with a consistent considerable advantage so do Dorna just keep slowing them and slowing them and slowing them until they've brought them back into the field then i reckon there's a possibility i think i think that could be the end game here where it's like okay let's karazaki are when the season starts off probably be a couple of rounds because philip Island tends to be quite an equalizing format circuit but I reckon maybe by Aragon, you know, something like that, three or four rounds in, if Kawasaki are still comfortably on top, they start cranking up the the rev limits and basically toning them down a little bit. Um, That's what I feel. I feel like, I mean, like they wouldn't have brought in rev limits if it wasn't with the pure intention of trying to slow this team down. Like that was the whole. And and, and my, what I can see, I mean, I can see a political row kicking up over this because. If Kawasaki are first and second in Phillip Island, which is not necessarily likely because Sykes hates the place, um, but if they're one and two uh, in Buriram and one and two in Aragon, um, for every race weekend where Jonathan Ray or Tom Sykes are winning, um, no matter how far they're winning by, surely all the other factions are going to be crying to Donna saying they're too quick, slow them down. Absolutely. Like if you're if if you're someone like Yamaha who's set to gain the most from this sort of format change, why wouldn't you kick up a stink over this? Anything to give yourself a greater chance of actually winning, which they were knocking on the door on alone last season with Van der Mark at, Mas- at Masano. Like they, like the Yamaha were the consistent third best team in the field this year. So yeah, like the way it's going right now, like. <laughs> This, this could get ugly, politically speaking, because Kawasaki, they're going to have the attitude of, well, what's the point of developing our bike if you're going to bring in arbitrary rules to bring us down to size? Whereas other factories are going to be like, yay, we can we can give them a fight now, even though we're not good enough on paper to beat these guys, the rules will help us out and they'll balance the field. So getting that mix between entertainment and, and you know, sporting integrity is always difficult. Um do I think they've gotten this one right? We'll have to wait and see how they implement this rule as time goes on. But um, I, I have to say, like the potential that the Dawn has got here, the potential they have to potentially, you know, mess up the rules or potentially, you know, be drunk with power and really crank this up quickly, could be problematic. Yeah, it could get ugly as the season goes on. We'll follow that story. It's certainly going to be a running theme. Uh, through the year. Um, quickly to round up what we saw from Jerez and Portimao. At the uh, Jerez test overall, um, the third fastest rider, as I mentioned a moment ago, was Nicolo Canepa, although, of course, he's not a race rider. He's just the Yamaha tester. Um, and Yamaha, third quickest there, if you include test riders, and they were 
next quickest after Jonathan Ray at Portimao 2, um, courtesy of Vandermark, who I think was second fastest there. Um, it's the gradual next step for them, isn't it? I mean, I think it's probably asking a bit too much for Yamaha to be winning straight out of the box this season. But with every test that goes by, I think it's a, a, an achievable goal for Yamaha to start the season, not necessarily the fastest, but certainly perhaps the second fastest bike out there. They're going to be thinking podiums right out of the box here, surely. Like, the the rules help them out here. Their bike's been very fast. Alex Lowe's, I think, in particular, has been very quick in testing, right up there with Sykes at times. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that right now thinking, yeah, why not go for podiums? Why not think, you know really get involved there get podiums more frequently maybe even challenge a kawasaki for a win or two because the rules benefit them and, and they seem to be getting faster as, as more and more as time goes yeah, on jonathan ray quick is at portimao on a 141 um 485 second fastest at that test was lowe's uh, as I mentioned it was vandermark a moment ago it is what actually lowe's as dre says a 41 6 um for alex lowe's so just a tenth and a half off jonathan ray um, but nowhere near as quick of him over race runs by all accounts um, on that one. Um, we're slightly in the dark, really, as to where Ducati are at the moment. This is the last season for them with this current breed of Panigale. As we know, um, they've started testing um, with their test rider Lorenzo Zanetti, started testing their new V4 Panigale um, at Jerez, um, which is expected to race in 2019. So it's a difficult one. We don't quite know where Ducati are for a couple of reasons, one being... The fact that this is the last season with the with the older bike, and also the fact that Chaz Davies isn't quite fully fit yet, um, having injured himself last winter in a test at Jerez in November. Um, so, Ducati not exactly enjoying the ideal start to their new season, are they, Dre? And with this being the last season of the old Panigale, um, you do kind of wonder how much effort they're going to put into developing it. It's a good point. Um, their V4 Panigale will most likely be racing next season, so... I, are they, how much resources are they going to throw at a bike that's going to be out of commission in a year's time? I I don't I don't have a lot of faith in that. This might just be a development year for Ducati to focus as much resource as possible on the on the Panigale V4, which they'll be racing with in 2019, which by all accounts apparently is a monster. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, look forward to that in 2019. But for now, the Ducati camp is quiet and well. They've probably got good reason to be. I think they know that uh, this isn't going to be their optimal year to challenge Kawasaki for a title, given that there are there are greater things on the horizon. Yeah, Kawasaki would appear to have their number uh, at the moment. A um, couple of other lines to bring you from the test. Um, it was, of course, the first official test that we saw for Loris Baz on the new BMW. He had a solid first week with that team. Um, Jordi Torres also going pretty well on the MV. Um, as he's soon going to discover what Leon Cami has been telling us all for, for years and years, that there is a ceiling with that mm -hmm. bike. Um, and also we saw Topak Razgatioglu, the uh, new rookie on the Pedagini Kawasaki, not quite lighting the timing screens up as he did to, uh, over the course of last season, but still rather impressive as a young rookie. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing what he can deliver. Of course, World Superbikes will have one more test, and it will be at the venue of the first round of the season at Phillip Island. It will be a week before the first race of the season. So... Uh, uh, in two weeks' time, uh, as we come to you for episode 46 of Bike Live, they will be about to go testing in Phillip Island and, of course, about to go racing too. Um, so we'll bring you updates on that um, in our next couple of shows. Um, but before we go, let's move on to the news. And it's largely World Superbike-based as well. Um, the new... Um, well, there are new 
new stories to bring you and perhaps new formats to tell you about um, both this season and in future seasons in World Superbikes. Starting with this season and perhaps a new format for the season, which has been struggling us quite late. It's been announced a month before the new season that they're actually going to be tearing up the uh, race schedule format for the season. I'm going to three free practice sessions on a Friday as opposed to two. doesn't essentially um, give the riders any more track time. It's essentially going to be three shorter sessions as opposed to two longer ones um, that are pretty much going to add to the same amount of track time. Um, but World Superbikes is going that route, essentially following the MotoGP model um, of three free practice sessions to set the field for qualifying or Super Pole, of course, as World Superbike uh, calls it. Um, some race weekends this season, though, might also be going from two races to three. Um, because there's a story that's been doing the rounds this week, particularly in MCM, Dre, that World Superbike Bosses and Dorna are looking at the possibility of running three races on a couple of weekends this season at Donington and Portimao, um, with one on Saturday and two on Sunday. Now, speaking as the Tom Sykes fan amongst us, the more races at Donington Park, the better. Um, of but course. being serious, I mean, any objections to this? He was totally being <laughs> serious. Um... <laughs> um I have the problem with this. Um, Donington and Portimao are two of their stronger rounds, definitely. I, like Portimao, I love it as a circuit. I think it's a fantastic venue for, um, for World Superbikes. It's a unique venue because not many other places race there in period, um, which is really cool. Donington, again, they've always, they're always going to have a strong British following down there. You get many a wild card taking part, like we had Dixon and Leon Haslam there last year. So, yeah, I, I'm, I have no problem with them running three races down there. If that's what they want to do, and you know, have have two marquee weekends a season where they have three races, I don't have a problem with that at all. So, um, yeah, if they're gonna if they're gonna run three rounds down there, yeah, I'm all yeah, for it. And see if that does happen and when it's actually announced, because you know we already know the calendar, we already know the venues we're going to this season. Um, how are they gonna How are they gonna feel this? I, one conspiracy theory, being slightly mischievous here, um, I do wonder if this is either whether they're actually going to add two races or whether this is Dorna quietly admitting that they fear the new Argentine circuit might not be ready uh, and they're going to just and they're going to fight right. two races elsewhere. I might be being a bit cynical there, um, but you, you can't ever wonder if that's maybe what Dorna are thinking. If they're going to perhaps going to lose two rounds in the calendar, they're going to basically add them to other rounds through the season, or whether we are indeed going to have a 28 race calendar, which um, I don't think any of us would object to. Um, so we'll wait and see on that. We'll wait and see if um, World Superbikes does indeed. Um, introduce this and introduce two new um, or two added races to the season at two other venues uh, over the course of this season. Um, the other sort of fundamental issue I'd have with it is how would they go about deciding the grid for the third race? <laughs> because, because as it is, we have the reverse grid for race two. You can't reverse them again for three, can you? I guess they could easily just go. They could probably use race two's results and flip that grid over. Maybe. I mean, let's be honest. The race two did. Race two didn't really flip the no, grids I'm that re much. Probably that. not as we much as got got season review out yet. Season preview out yet. But that rule is still in place for this year. Of course. Um, so yeah, the way I look at it, um, I don't think um like, they could easily just go with race two because i don't think the race to reverse grid rule had the effect that dawner was hoping for on this one um so they could easily just say you know what we'll copy over race two uh instead of maybe i mean you don't just use race one's grid again i don't know like the thing is if you're gonna have three races i don't know how you're gonna differentiate between races no. two and three on the sunday which is the whole point of the of, of changing the rules to have 
you know, one race on Saturday and one race on Sunday in the first place. So yeah, Sykes is going to win them anyway, so they can do what they want with it, quite frankly. Um, moving on, uh, there's potentially going to be a new circuit on the calendar for next season, and this one is... Well, it's, it's quite an exciting story if you take it at face value. Now, we have been um, kind of taken for falls already in the last few years with regards to new British race circuits, let's be fair. Um, we're looking in. Uh, we're looking in the direction of you, Wales. Um, but um, let's see if. But let's see if Northern Ireland can do any better, um, because there's the potential next season for the first ever Northern Irish round of the World Superbike Championship. Had a circuit um, in Lake Torrent in Northern Ireland. Uh, essentially, it's going to be a Jonathan Ray Invitational, as uh, as Dre uh, termed it um, before we started. Um, now. You, 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 can, you can have the yeah. name, Dorna, yeah. on now, the house. If this Ugh. comes to fruition, which is a long way from happening yet, this would be cool as fuck, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. Like, like, there is a massive British influence in multi-blacks, always has been. And the Irish, I mean, again, Jonathan Ray's a superstar back home. They are bike mad over there for many, many reasons. Um, so... Having a home round for your triple world champion, the turnout, I reckon, would be massive if they could get a race in Northern Ireland for 2019. That would be massive. By then. Yeah. Would you bet no. against him on that one? Uh, but, um, yeah, geez. Um, a home round for Jonathan Ray over there. Cobb could be a four-time consecutive champ by then. He's already a mega star in Ireland, not so much in, in, in England, but in Ireland, he's basically one of the biggest sporting stars they've got now. So, I mean, it says a lot when you're being invited down the new camp and getting custom shirts off the, off the club's president. So, you know, the, the guy's star power is only continuing to rise. And, hey, why not have a home round if that's the case for that for that reason alone? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's already sounds great. better circuit of Wales in the fact that this circuit is already under construction. Um, uh, like Torrey, yeah, which, um, well. I mean, I've still not seen one brick uh, in Wales uh, for the circuit of Wales. I'm probably not go ever going to. Um, but it's just to give you a bit more information about it. It's located uh, in County Tyrone. It's 40 minutes or so from Belfast. Um, so it's going to be a very easily accessible venue, um, given that it's just 40 minutes from the capital of Northern Ireland. Um, and it's the brainchild of Marine of Manor Developments, um, which is uh, run by a man named David Henderson, uh, who says for the last 15 years, it's been a dream of his to build a motor racing circuit that incorporates the feel of the road with the safety of an international standard track and also to bring the World Superbike Championship to Northern Ireland. Um, it's a circuit that's going to apparently hold 30,000 spectators. Um, and, you know, that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't sound like many. But I guess, in many ways, I see that as a good thing, Drake, because it seems for this circuit, when you look at the numbers, they're not spending mega bucks on it. I think they're spending around £30 million pounds to, to build this circuit. Um, it's in a complete departure from the circuit of Wales. It appears that this circuit is... Um, being built to a budget and they're not setting their sights too high on this one. Which the Circuit of Wales certainly did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, it looks like they're aiming a little lower. They're not They're not breaking in the budget. It's about how, you know, bring thousand jobs to the area like the Circuit of Wales did. Um, so yeah, it's like they're, they're, they're thinking a little bit more about this one. 
um yeah i it, it looks promising and again as i said the potential here is huge for a northern irish superbike round that'll be huge for him uh maybe again maybe something they could get other series to possibly invest in like maybe the british superbike car as well could do with a northern ireland round yeah, Who knows? immediately on but, twitter straight away tweeted the uh the series official account saying how about a bsb round there <laughs> so um so yeah there he's on board already i mean um the only circuit i can think of in that part of the world is mondello park and there's no way that world world superbikes will be racing around there anytime soon um so um yeah it, this would be so cool if it happens and let's hope it does we wish them all the very best um in northern ireland at lake um forget the name of it already lake torrent um as they look to host their first ever world superbike round <laughs> in 2019 um but what, what, but the one look, question we don't have answered though yet, um, and we, again we discussed this before we started, is there's been no mention as to whether this is going to be the British round or the Northern Irish round. I.e., does this add to Donington or replace it? We'll call it the European yeah. round. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go F one with this one. Quick European round. It's a cop out answer. Um, <laughs> that's all I've got for you on yeah, this one. It's gonna be interesting that because we. <laughs> thought late last year that perhaps Donington Park was going to be hosting the MotoGP British Grand Prix this year. It's not. It's going to Silverstone, um, as we know, for the next few years. So, potentially if this does become the new home of the British World Superbike round, Donington might not find itself with a World Championship motorcycle event to speak of at all. So, uh, yeah, that's one to follow. Um, no mention of that at all in the official um, press release from Dorna um, as to whether this is going to be the new home of the um, British World Superbike round. It just says World Superbike set for Northern Irish debut um, in 2019. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. And, um, yeah, Donington will be checking the fine print in their contract um, and trying to get a new one signed pretty pretty sharpish so that they uh, they have a round set on the World Superbike calendar. I certainly think, given how uh, popular the sport is over here, there are room for two British rounds of the World Superbike Championship. Um, so let's hope that that is the way Dorna decides to go. Um, one other piece of news to bring you, uh, and that comes from MotoGP. Um, it's more rumour at this stage than actual fact, but um, we've been wondering since our last show, Rise and Folger, who was going to be the aforementioned Jonas Folger's replacement at Monster Yamaha Tech 3 for 2018. And at the moment, Dre, the frontrunner appears to be Hafis Sirin. Excited? The Rainmeister. Um... No, I'm not, I'm not against this. Like, I mean, like, given the obvious pickle that Hervé Pontros, which he's spoken about at length on, on multiple shows now, I mean, realistically, who are they going to get who's better? Really, like, Sirin is a, you know, a guy that has had multiple Moto2 podiums. He's a very solid rider. He's contracted, which is going to be a problem. Um, but it looks like, you know, with, 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 with Petrobas, they're sponsoring him as a rider and the idea of maybe getting a Malaysian rider into MotoGP, who again, another biking Which mad is the whole country. That, that team that runs Siren was set up. <laughs> exactly. So you can run a Malaysian guy. Oh, it turns out he's actually quite good too. That is, isn't, isn't that useful? Yeah, um, Pontrao likes, so, yeah, likes him. Um, Malaysia wants a MotoGP rider in there. It makes sense. Why not? Basically, so yeah, I'm all for it on this one. And again, given the situation, I can't really honestly expect it to have much better than this at no. the moment. So yeah, like if, if, if all the names available and I've seen thrown around, um, even I would take a fee siren over Sylvain Gintoli. So um, yeah, I, I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, look, if if siren gets signed up by Monster Yamaha Tech Three, Sepang will sell out in minutes. Um, for that one, for the, the oh, first yeah. ever Malaysian MotoGP with a Malaysian rider in the field, 
um, would be incredible. Um, and yeah, without question, he is a talent. Um, we perhaps haven't seen that talent often enough um, in MotoGP in uh, in recent in Moto2, should I say, in recent years. Ever since that amazing debut when he nearly won on his debut as a wild card in Moto2 in the in the reign of Sepang. Um, but I guess if we put it to put it to it this way, he's. I mean, if if you put him next to Xavier Simeon, you'd say, well, if Simeon merits a MotoGP ride, then surely Sirin does. Um, and Sirin was ahead of Simeon in the Moto2 Championship last season. So, yeah, I, I think if he gets that ride, let's give the kid a chance. Um, and and, and there, are, there are a few worse teams to debut for, as Joan Zarco and Jonas Volga will attest to. So uh, um, if that does indeed happen, we'll let you know on the next episode of Bike Live. Um, but if it does, we wish Hafish Sirin the very best um, at Monster Jam Tech 3. We'll see if that does indeed happen. He is... Uh, the front runner, it appears, the favourite for the Tech 3 MotoGP ride in 2018. Um, and they have to get the move on. They do hope um, to have a ride in place for the second test, which is two weeks away. So by the time we speak to you next, we may well have an official announcement on that one. Um, that brings us to the end then of this week's edition of Bike Live episode 45. Um, as you can imagine, um, given the next uh, our next edition of the show, um, will not involve any racing to speak of, and there isn't any more testing between now and our next show. The next MotoGP test will be um, around the time of episode 46, um, and the World Superbike testing will follow that. You could probably kind of guess where we're going on this one. Um, it's going to be a Valentino Rossi special, understandably. Um, we're going all BT Sport and devoting an entire show to Valentino Rossi. Um, so, um, so that's what's to come in two weeks' time, episode VR46 of Bike Live. Um, around about um, February the 16th, 17th, um, which, as I mentioned earlier at the start of the show, will signal the start of our return to weekly bike lives. Um, because, of course, Yay! episode 47 on uh, the uh, the week that follows will be our full World Superbike season preview. So you've got that to look forward to uh, starting in a couple of weeks. Um, between now and then, though, Dre, we have a return to Motorsport 101 for episode 121. Um, now... What are the plans for this one? Now, I have, I've got to admit, I haven't been particularly invested in the race of champions in Riyadh um, that's been taking place earlier today. The, the, uh, the one, I've got to be honest, the one uh, video footage, piece of video footage I saw from it was Juan Montoya complaining about his team not getting through and that there was some sort of technicality that cost them a place in the semifinals. No, something's never changed. Peak Montoya. Something's never changed. Um, but that aside, um, what, are, what is in the works for episode one, two, one? Well, you heard any news lately? Um, apparently, a really, really big company had some redundancies this past weekend, and apparently people are really upset about it. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a big story. I don't think we'll cover it all that much, but apparently it's quite. it's been quite a dry week in motorsports, so who knows? You might even give it front billing. Um, but that's obvious issue, and obviously a full review um, of the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona Um That'll be inevitably in episode 121, and um, yeah, hopefully I don't. Hopefully the YouTube commenters don't find that episode next week. Yeah. It won't be pretty. But um, yes, that and the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona in episode 121 of Motorsport One. Now I'll be back next yeah. week. Uh, keep your eye out for that around uh, the end of next week, probably next Friday, um, February the 9th. Um, so keep an eye out for that this time next week, episode 121 of Motorsport 101. Um, between now and then, you can follow us on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101 um facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 uh, our youtube channel um which um, has been getting a bit of traffic as dre mentioned um dot com forward slash motorsport 101 um if you have a view um just try and keep it clean um and try not to use the term liberal snowflakes 
you utter pillocks. Um, bet- um, <laughs> bet- between now and then, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, if you want to follow us on there and watch uh, Dre's latest vlog around the grid girls issue um, and our website motorsport101.net and if you do indeed like to uh, back us financially and earn yourself early access to this show and to motorsport101 uh, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 my thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me this week my thanks to all of you for listening uh, we'll be back in a fortnight for episode VR46 of Bike Live until then from myself and Dre it's bye for now <laughs>